they're going to vax you one way or the other. Trust me. <laughs> Wait till you hear this story. Do not feed the Christians. <laughs> Another one you won't believe. And a update on the Las Vegas shooter. Remember that from years ago? Yeah, finally, the FBI has uh, put out some more information. Hmm, maybe it's the FBI, so sadly these days we can't necessarily trust them. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. That's me. I am running on caffeine and eye drops, and that's pretty much it. I, <coughs> I had about two hours of sleep last night. And I did not get in my little nappy today. So don't get in my way, okay? Because I'm ornery. It's just been one of those days. It's just been the day from hell. It was crap. I'm not in the mood, which is exactly why we should be doing this show. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we'll get to it. Hey, by the way, if uh, Chris uh, Pavlovsky the CEO of Rumble is listening. Uh, you went out last night and did a Rumble raid on a whole bunch of live shows at like 9 o'clock your time, p.m. over there in the U.S. Well, there's a whole bunch of us folks on the other side of the planet who, you know, it's like 10 o'clock at night our time, 10 in the morning your time down there in Florida. So if you want to pop in and be generous on, you know, some of these small little other different time zone live shows. I, I'm, I'm just saying. Okay, enough about that. Thanks, Chris. It's time for Amico Updates. We'll keep you updated on our favorite furry little friend, our three-year-old Shiba Inu baby, who is called Miko. Check this out. <laughs> That's our latest in Miko merchandise. No, it's not available for you. I, we do have stuff with Miko. We have a pet bandana in our uh, merch store, which you'll find the link to in our show notes. You can get coffee mugs and T-shirts and all kinds of cool stuff in there. So check it out if you want to help support the show. But this is something I bought online from an amazing... We have a... a it's called Shopee. I don't know if you have that over in the U.S., but uh, I found this store that was doing these phone covers. My phone is almost impossible to find covers for, even in the regular phone cover stores. Yes, we actually have those here. But she had it. She printed it. It is great. This is the actual thing, and that's the picture of the, the, the phone cover. And uh, it, it's fantastic. It really a nice, nice job. Excellent. So happy. And not expensive at all. Very fast turnaround. I'm not plugging her business necessarily because most people in my audience wouldn't be able to go buy from her. But anyway, <coughs> excuse me. She's, uh, yeah, she does a great job. And look at that. Check out that pet phone cover. That is so cool. Very, very nice. We are very pleased. All right. Our Miko update. And by the way, in general, Miko's doing really great. She uh, had a good day today, and the, the Miko update is brought to you by the good folks at BarkBox. BarkBox.com is a monthly subscription service. Every month, right delivered to your door will be a themed box full of goodies for your dog, two toys, two bags of 
uh, treats and a dog chew. Every month there's a new theme. And if you sign up for a multi-month subscription using our link down in the show notes, BarkBox.com slash Miko, you'll get an extra month absolutely free. There is an alternative link and you can get double your first box, which means as opposed to an extra month, you're kind of getting that. But you get four toys, four bags of treats, and two chews. If you want, just pick that second link under BarkBox.com slash Miko. And you can, excuse me, that's going to happen all night tonight, so bear with me. Anyway, yeah, it's BarkBox.com. Thank you so much for uh, for spent sponsoring our Miko update. We really, really do appreciate it. All right. We got lots to talk about tonight, and we're going to jump right into it. Uh, now that we got all the complaining and everything else out of the way. Uh, although we do also want to remind you that our show is brought to you by NordVPN. Protect your online activity with the best and easiest VPN, NordVPN. Use our special link, again, in the show notes, and you will get an incredible deal. Three months at 59% off. That's three months, you get 59% off. Nice deal. All right, NordVPN, thank you. Here we go. You ready? So much crap. The globalist overlords are hell-bent on making sure that mRNA gene therapy is stuck in every one of our bodies. We don't want it, but they're doing their damnedest to make sure. Now these psychopaths are passing legislation. Legislation! To include in all manner of foods and vegetables. And I'm not kidding. Check this out. Oh, man. Edible vaccines. Scientists studying potential of leafy greens as an mRNA factory. A team of scientists is putting a novel spin on the concept of food as remedy. They've been developing the means for people to grow their own edible mRNA vaccines. This was first published in 2021 September. That long ago, they're talking about this crap. It's been updated uh, just about a month later or so. Plants do a lot for us, provide food, provide the oxygen we breathe. Since ancient times, we've used plants as medicines, barks, grasses, roots. Scientists are now taking it to the nano level, studying ways of using leafy greens to both manufacture and deliver vaccines. So for those of us who said, no, thank you. I don't want your gene therapy crap in my body. You may get it anyway, and you might not even know. By the way, do you remember not so long ago where they pulled the country of origin labels off of food? They no longer required it? Hmm. So if you suddenly found out that these list of ABC countries from Europe, wherever, Asia, were 
putting this mRNA vaccine crap in their food, meat, vegetables. And so you wouldn't buy products from those countries. Well, guess what? They made it so now you can't know. They took off the requirement for labeling what country food products come from. Used to be required. Used to be the law. Not anymore. It's a plan, folks. It's all a plan. My, by manipulating plants in a micro scale, of C, a team of scientists led by Juan Paulo uh, Giraldo, an associate professor at University of California, uh, Department of Botany and Plant Science, printing a novel spin on the concept of food as remedy for people to grow their own edible mRNA. If you think I'm kidding, listen to this. Medicago's manufacturing facility looks like a nursery, but inside these plants, they're growing a new kind of vaccine. The technology is called a virus-like particle. At Medicago, we use a careful step-by-step process to develop vaccines using our plants as mini bioreactors. We start with the gene sequence or code of a virus. We then use our technology to synthesize the virus code into a real biological product. The code contains genetic instructions that our plants can read, and we insert it into bacteria called Agrobacterium tumefaciens. We submerge the plants in a bath with the bacteria that carries the information into the plant cells. And using a vacuum, we suck out the air between the plant cells and replace it with the liquid. The plants absorb it like a sponge. At the end of their bacterial bath, we return our plants to a carefully controlled greenhouse to let them get on with their natural growing business for at least four days. Now the plants will start producing the most important ingredient of our vaccines, virus-like yeah. particles. See, what did I tell you? Um, <laughs> they're going to get it in you one way or the other. Unbelievable, my friends. And I'm sorry, what did you say? Don't buy vegetables from the supermarket. Just grow your own. Well, guess what? This is from Bernie's tweets. You're not going to be allowed to grow your own. This is a story about a guy who's been banned from growing his own vegetables and sharing them. The guy loves community gardening, so he grows his own fruits and vegetables, and he shares them. He gives them away. Sells some of them, of course the local farmer's market. Well, authorities want to stop people from growing their own food because, of course, they can't control it. So they're going to do everything they can to try and stop you from doing that. It won't make you safer. It won't make you happier. It will tie you even tighter to the whims of state control forever. Take a look this story here. Linda, this is just part, part of more than two acres of land that uh, Steve Miller grows his food on. He says at times through the year he has more than two dozen vegetables growing here. Now neighbors have started grow calling this ongoing battle Cabbage Gate. Topography is, is also nice because it's somewhat level. Steve Miller loves to grow and talk about vegetables. It's a passion that I have. And unfortunately, the passion has gotten me into trouble, and I can't understand why. 
He's been growing crops here off Simmerin Drive for nearly 15 years, giving them to friends and customers of his landscaping business and also selling the veggies at local farmers markets. In January and February, DeKalb County code enforcement officers cited him for growing too many crops for the zoning and having unpermitted workers on site. It really, it's like a big hobby. Steve says he stopped growing vegetables this summer and the charges were put on hold as he got the property rezoned. Two weeks after approval, his attorney says the county began prosecuting the old charges, saying he was technically in violation before the rezoning. It should go away. I think, uh, like I say, I think it borders on harassment. A county spokesperson tells me since this is in court, officials can't talk about it. When we met with Steve... You, you see? You see what I'm talking about? Unbelievable. They will do everything they can. Now, whether or not this is related to my first story about the vaccine in leafy green vegetables or not... Nevertheless, it's all about power. It's all about control. That's all they care about is their power over you. That's it. That's all they care about. Outrageous. Outrageous. All right. Uh, <laughs> we got so much crap going on tonight. One of the things that we don't have going on tonight is a boycott. But maybe we should. This is from Blaze Media. I love this story. <laughs> Matt Walsh, great guy, an amazing broadcaster, does a great podcast. And he just, oh, wait a minute, let me get rid of this ad here. Here we go. Matt says, claim one scalp at a time and then move on to the next one. Matt suggests how conservatives should collectively target woke companies, including, of course, Anheuser-Busch, makers of Bud Light and that moron. Conservative commentator Matt Walsh of the Daily Wire suggested conservatives band together to boycott woke businesses. But what Matt says here is quite true. You can't boycott all the companies promoting all this radical leftist agenda ideology and Matt's suggesting this, a brilliant idea. You pick one. Pick one. Just one. Boycott them. Do everything you can. Spread the word. Complain. Bitch and complain online, everybody, wherever you can find somebody who will listen. And make sure you boycott them and encourage other people to boycott them. Pick a victim. Gang up on it. Make an example of it. By the way, nonviolent, of course. Boycotts are not violent, okay? You can't boycott every woke company out there, you know, but say Anheuser-Busch. Pick them. Boycott their products. Refuse to buy them. Let other people know. Once you've had enough of an effect on that company, and trust me, especially Anheuser-Busch, man, is it having an effect. You'll see reports all over the place about nobody is buying Bud Light. They're all sitting on the shelves, and a lot of the package stores and liquor stores are calling up the distributors and saying, come pick this crap up. I can't sell it. <laughs> and when you're done with that, head over to Nike. Boycott them, because they're doing the same woke crap. Anyway, it's a brilliant idea. You know, if you... All these companies... 
that are apparently interested in going broke because they're going woke, you can't bo- you can't attack them all at the same time. Pick one, hit it, and then gang up, make an example of it, and move on. I love this idea. I absolutely love this idea. It's very cool. All right. Let's see what else is going on here tonight. Oh, we got so much crap to cover. We're going to get to our book, too, by the way. We'll have that coming up in just a bit. Oh, (laughs) here's another great one. This has been one of those times where when I was doing the show prep, I just kept shaking my head. I just kept going, "Are are you kidding me with this crap? Are you Christian? I'm not. We talked about that, I think, on our second to the last show. But California, oh yeah, it's California again coming through in the last, uh, in the pitch. California is suspending meal funding for Christian preschools over their stance on gender and sexuality. Not kidding. California is suspending the funding for kids' meals in a Christian preschool because of their gender and sexuality stances. San Diego County Christian Preschool used suing the state of California for pulling the plug on their state meal funding, saying its traditional stance on gender and sexuality violated a new state law. Church of Compassion's Day Spring Christian Learning Center, a preschool and daycare in El Cajon, California, serving nearly 90 students, filed a lawsuit against the state in March, just last month, March 15th, for, and this is a quote, deprivation of the free exercise of religion and deprivation of free speech, as well as alleged hostility against religion. The school received a letter from the state social services department last October, denied its application for continued meal funding, and it said the school's stance on uh, equal equal marriage rights and sexuality violated a new California state law. Dayspring's 21-page employee handbook requires staff to model Christ-like behavior and prohibits living with someone with whom you are not married, homosexuality, lesbianism, or any other behavior that is deemed not to conform to the Bible. Now, while I vehemently disagree with their opinion, that is their belief, and that is their very right to hold that belief and to require people who work with them in their Christian company, rather far-right conservative Christian company, to adhere to those guidelines. And if you don't want to adhere to those guidelines, then don't work here. Don't be a teacher here in our school. They have every right. And yet the state, because of their far-right Christian beliefs is denying them funding for their meal program. I would ask this question. 
What if it were an Islamic primary school? Because Islam holds many of, in fact, virtually all of the same kind of extremely conservative uh, values that Christians, I mean, if you're really going to follow, follow the Bible, if you believe in that, then whether it's the Quran or the Bible. So if a uh, Islamic school applied for their state meal funding, would the state of California also deny them? Somehow, I doubt it. Nothing against the Islamic school. All of this bullcrap has to do with this moronic law in the state of California, which is virtually denying people the right to practice their religion. And that, my friends, is some scary crap. All right. Oh, my goodness. What else we got for? We've got a couple of more stories here. However, before we get on to that, man, you know, we've been talking a lot about good stuff for your health. And just have to take a few minutes here, talk about one of our sponsors. They, uh, they want to be on the show. They want to be a part of this program. And so we want to tell you about it. This is from Brickhouse Nutrition, one of my favorite products over there. It is called Field Greens. You know the importance of fruits and vegetables. We've been talking about that for half the show tonight. <laughs> really? Well, it's not that easy. You got to go shop for them. You got to prepare them. You got to cook them. And sometimes by the time you get to doing that, after you bought them and brought them home, they've rotted. They've gone off and you wasted your money. Well, there is a way to get all the fruits and vegetables and all the colors that you need. Because, you know, colors are important. You know what they say about the colors of all the fruits and veggies that you eat. Uh, Field of Greens is a science-backed formula of specific, healthy, wholesome fruits and vegetables ground into an amazing tasting powder. You just mix it in with your favorite drink. You can use, you can use water if you want to, but uh, green tea works well in orange juice, uh, whatever. And these are real USDA organic fruits and vegetables, not extracts. They're not supplements. They are organic fruits and vegetables. You look at the back of the package. It doesn't say supplement facts. It says nutrition facts. Great tasting flavors. You will love it, and it is so good for you. Field of Greens, that's that product right there. It's from Brickhouse Nutrition. And if you use our special link, which is right down there in our show notes, you will get an amazing offer from the folks at Brickhouse Nutrition and the Jay Sheldon Show. Thank you, Brickhouse Nutrition, for, uh, for hanging out and helping to sponsor part of the show tonight. All right. Uh, man, it's pick on California night, isn't it? <laughs> Apparently so. Because we got another one. Where are we? Can we get this, uh, can we get this one to pop up here? Let's see. Yeah, we can. Here we go. What happened to reparations? Well, they're back. California reparations plan is rooted in stupidity 
and what basically comes down to historical lies. California was a part of the Union, not the Confederate, and wasn't a slave-owning state. Governor Gavin Newsom's Reparations Task Force. If you haven't heard this, and I can't believe you haven't heard this because it's been the most stupid, absurd, obscene story in the news for the last month or two. They're considering an estimated $569 billion, with a B, billion dollars to be paid by the state for reparations. That's two and a half times California's current state budget, which is already running a deficit. And this is to give black Americans living in California reparations for past discriminatory practices and slavery, despite the fact that California was never a slave state. Some of the recent proposals are cash payouts, cash money of $350,000 to every African American and 250000 for every black-owned business to help close the racial wealth gap, which is actually a social justice grievance and not slavery. And guess what? It's not enough. Check this moron out who thinks $350,000, maybe you could come up with a little bit more in the way of reparations. Listen to this. I believe that $5 million in reparations is too little for the work that Foundation of Black Americans have done for this country and as well for other countries. I believe that $7.6 million is a number that can be used very wisely in our Foundation of Black American communities. 40 acres is also still a good idea, and instead of a mule, we would like a tractor. I also believe that we should know the name of all the companies that participated in the slave trade so we, Foundation of Black Americans, can start up our own companies. We should also be allowed to have a choice to learn our mother language other than Spanish or French in our educational classes. We have the Tut language that was started right here in America. During slavery, we have Swahili, Yoruba, Igbo, Zulu, and Hausa. Community colleges and universities should not raise their tuition prices for the next future generations of each foundational black American family, and we should be able to change our names to our mother, land names totally for free. All types of real estate should not go up in price, but it is our land that was supposed to be for us. But as we all know, it was never given. Yeah. So there you go. As this graphic says over there, a state that never allowed slaves is taking money from people who never owned slaves and giving it to people who never were slaves. Get get out of California, okay? Just simply get out of California. California, one of only two states, by the way, in the entire western United States, California could scarcely have been more isolated at the start of the Civil War. It was all happening on the mostly the East Coast. No transcontinental railroad or telegraph even yet connected California to the rest of the country. No battles were ever fought there. California proved pivotal, however, to the Union war effort 
propping up the economy with its huge gold reserves, uh, raising, raising big sums for military medical assistance, providing a high number of troops per capita. But most, if in fact none, of the action happened in California. And a, friendly, a friend reminded the writer here, says, A nearby town in Amador County, Northern California, played a part in helping defeat the Confederate. The old Abe Cannon, Volcano, California, been there since the Civil War. It was smuggled there to protect Volcano because the gold from Volcano was a large funding source for the North during the war. Regardless, those who are going to wind up paying didn't own slaves, and those who are going to wind up getting were never slaves. And don't tell me my great-great-great-grandmother, and yeah, bullshit. It's, shut up and sit down. You want to bankrupt a state? You just, you just go ahead. No better way than to... Uh, it's, it's more than the state budget. I read that part, right? Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. What else we got going on? Oh, yeah. This is a weird one. Why won't this open? Could we possibly get this thing to uh, to work? I don't know what's happening. Here we go. Sorry. Stand by. Technical difficulties. That's not what I wanted. <laughs> don't you love live shows? All right, one more try, and then we're going to give up because I'm tired of trying. I told you I was tired tonight, didn't I? Two hours of sleep in the last 48 hours. Yeah, that's fun. Here we go. You ready? It's been a long time, 2017, actually, since this tragedy happened. You likely remember it. A new development has revealed in 2017 the Las Vegas massacre. You know what? Let me move that over. There we go. Um, alleged letters have been discovered from an ex-con to the shooter. This is frightening. New development revealed to the public this week from the 2017 Vegas massacre, which left 60 people dead, hundreds more injured, after letters were released allegedly from an ex-con in Texas, written to the man who later went on to carry out that atrocity of the Vegas shooting. The AP reported the FBI released the letters signed by a man named James Nixon in response to a record request from the Wall Street Journal. 75-year-old war vet who served some time in prison for tax fraud told local media he never contacted law enforcement about the shooter who the Daily Wire will not name because the company has a policy about depriving mass killers of the notoriety that they seek. He did what he did, and I feel bad I couldn't have stopped him, Nixon said. I, don't, I didn't know he was going to do what he did. Police say they received the letters two months after the shooting when they were discovered by the new owners of a vacant property in Mesquite, Texas a place where the shooter had once owned property. 
The month prior, another letter sent to the shooter that said, I'm concerned about the way you're talking and believe you're going to do something very bad. Please don't go out shooting and hurting people who did nothing to you, the letter said. Please, please don't do what I think you're going to do. This is some scary stuff, and it's been so many years since that happened, and we never really, really got an answer to a lot of questions, including how he got all that firepower up into that hotel room without somebody noticing. But, uh, yeah, this is a, there's a lot of background in here. You want to check it out. It's a, it's a great story from, uh, from the Daily Wire. All right, another one for you. Man, I'm telling you. We talked about the uh, reparation stuff out in California. Get a load of this crap. Atlanta. You know, if it were 1963, I could believe this headline. But we are a long way from 1963, friends. Atlanta is separating blacks from whites in academic recovery summer program. The Department of Education waited more than a year to open civil rights investigations after parents shared recordings of officials admitting to segregating black students. There's a report here. I'm not going to play that. But if you want to see the actual full report, you can go to the link in our in our show notes down there below, and this page will come up. You can check out the whole report. The U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights, OCR, took more than a year to open an investigation into allegedly intentional racial segregation in Atlanta public schools and purported retaliation against the parents who complained. The feds may very well face a similar complaint. They keep predominantly black and white elementary schools apart in a new summer program intended to mitigate learning loss because of the COVID-19 policies. The program website confirms that HHES, that's the Hope Hills Elementary School in Atlanta, which has far smaller enrollment than each of the other three, will continue meeting at its own site while the others will meet at Mary Lynn. Only three APS elementary schools among 40 are being kept alone for the summer program. That arrangement resembles a larger version of the race-based affinity groups that are popular in higher education but have prompted a lot of litigation. K-12 students, municipal employees, OCRs received several complaints about infinity groups from faculty, according to anti-woke medical advocacy group, Do No Harm. They are literally segregating people by race. We're back to that crap again. Beyond frightening. 
Hey, you remember the psychotic dictator who used to be the Prime Minister of New Zealand who went during her tenure there from a relatively normal-looking woman to looking like she was some meth-head crack addict? Well, she resigned a little while ago, thank God, although the wimpy, milk-toast moron who took over for her isn't really much better at all. But at least she's gone. Well, guess what? She's back. Jacinta Arden appointed to a new role targeting <laughs> online extremism. The former prime minister has a new role calling for online regulation. Oh, she's just such a nice smile, doesn't she? Doesn't she look like she cares about you? Isn't that nice? Yes, I'm going to lock you up and stick a needle in your arm, whether you like it or not. Former New Zealand Prime Minister and dictator Jacinta Ardern stepped down in January, been appointed to the role of Special Envoy for the Christchurch Call by current Prime Minister Wimpass Chris Hipkins. It's a foreign policy priority for the government, apparently. And uh, she's, according to the PM, the new one, uniquely placed to keep pushing forward with the goal of eliminating violent extremism content online. There are already some indications in the last month that Arden would involve herself in a role in policing online content. Look, if you want to know what this idiot woman is going to be like policing online content, Go back and watch her speeches and her announcements during the COVID pandemic. Frightening. Frightening. Some of the worst. And this witch is going to be in charge of online content? Uh, not for all of us, thank God. But if you're in New Zealand, might be time to start thinking about living somewhere else. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Oh, man. All right. Got one more for you before we're going to get on to our book here tonight. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> did you know? I did not know this until I found this article. Did you know that dogs have a fingerprint? No, 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 no. It's not a fingerprint. But it's a fingerprint. They're nose prints are just like fingerprints. They are unique to each and every individual dog. I, I, I was today years old when I learned that. All dogs have a completely unique nose print, and now, this is a cool idea, there's an app to ID each pet. How cool is that? Look at that. Look at that snoz. A South Korean startup has developed an AI-based app that will scan your dog's nose print and put it in a crowdsourced database that anyone can access to identify the owner of a lost dog. That is the coolest thing ever. You lost track of your cat? Oh, by the way, it works for cats, too. 
Dogs' nose prints are as individual as a human fingerprint. And the advantage of using it to identify a lost dog over a microchip is that no one has a microchip scanner, basically, in their house. But if you have a handphone and you can take a picture of your the dog's nose for their nose print, there you go. This is the coolest thing ever. Read the article. It's in our show notes tonight. you got to check this out. This is absolutely brilliant. All right, and I got one more piece of good news for you before we go on to our book. I love this. This is the coolest thing ever. This, let me just set it up for you slightly before we roll the video. There's not really any sound for this. Oh, there is, but it's not. It's just, you know, ambient sound. There was this little boy and his mom, and he had a dump truck, a toy dump truck. And he loves the construction sites. And so he took his toy dump truck over to the construction site where this giant backhoe was digging a hole and filling up a regular size dump truck. Well, whoever was running that backhoe, they have a heart which is exactly in the right place. Take a look at this. Sorry if you're listening on the podcast. It's a video. You're going to go check it out on our Rumble show. Rumble.com slash the Jay Sheldon show. Look at that. You got his little dump truck out there. There's a little boy over there on the left. And the backhoe operator picks up a little bit of dirt and fills up the little guy's toy dump truck. How about that? Man. <laughs> How cool is that? Like I said, whoever's operating that backhoe, wow, that's that's insane. That is so cool. <clears throat> All right. Uh, book time. Hey, Saturday night, by the way, I don't know if you, you caught us or not, because we're on Monday, Wednesday, Friday now. But this past Saturday, we decided we just wanted to uh, to put out the test stream and get some more content out there so we read a couple of chapters straight through we did a whole show almost an hour which was only reading white fang and uh, it was great we had quite a few like a couple hundred people who've uh, popped by and said hi so anyway all right we've uh we gotta do our uh we gotta move on into our book now and i'm sorry i'm just trying to keep up with everything that's going on here we go. All right, here we go. Uh, it's White Fang. Uh, we're reading White Fang. We have uh, broken through to the final section. There's five sections, and each section has four or five chapters. So uh, we're moving in and moving up. As soon as we're done with this book, which will probably be in the, about the next month, we are going to start George Orwell's 1984. Ooh, it's going to be so good. I can't wait. All right. Here we go. It is chapter six, The Love Master. As White Fang watched Whedon Scott approach, he bristled and snarled to advertise that he would not submit to punishment. Twenty-four hours had passed since he'd slashed open the hand that was now bandaged and held up by a sling to keep the blood out of it. In the past, White Fang had experienced delayed punishments, and he apprehended that such a one was about to befall him. 
How could it be otherwise? He'd committed what was to him sacrilege, sunk his fangs into the holy flesh of a god, and of a white-skinned superior god at that. In the nature of things, and of intercourse with gods, something terrible awaited him. The god sat down several feet away. White Fang could see nothing dangerous in that. When the gods administered punishment, they stood on their legs. Besides, this god had no club, no whip, no firearm. Furthermore, he himself was free. No chain nor stick bound him. He could escape into safety while the god was scrambling to his feet. In the meantime, he'd wait and see. The god remained quiet, made no movement. White Fang's snarl slowly dwindled to a growl that ebbed down his throat and ceased. And then the god spoke. And at the first sound of his voice, the hair rose on White Fang's neck, and the growl rushed up in his throat. But the god made no hostile movement, went on calmly talking. For a time, White Fang growled in unison with him, correspondence of rhythm being established between growl and voice. But the god talked on interminably. He talked to White Fang as White Fang had never been talked to before. He talked softly, soothingly, with a gentleness that somehow, somewhere, touched White Fang. In spite of himself and all the pricking warnings of his instinct, White Fang began to have confidence in this god. He had a feeling of security that was belayed by all his experience with men. Now, after a long time, the god got up, went into the cabin. White Fang scanned him apprehensively when he came out. He had neither whip nor club nor weapon, nor was his uninjured hand behind his back hiding something. He sat down as before in the same spot several feet away. He held out a small piece of meat. White Fang pricked his ears, investigated it suspiciously, managed to look at the same time both at the meat and the god, alert for any overt act his body tense, ready to spring away at the first sign of hostility. Still, the punishment delayed. The god merely held near to his nose a piece of meat. And about the meat, there seemed nothing wrong. Still, White Fang suspected, though the meat was proffered to him with short, inviting thrusts of the hand, he refused to touch it. The gods were all wise, and there was no telling what masterful treachery lurked behind that apparently harmless piece of meat. In past experience, especially in dealing with squaws, meat and punishment had often been disastrously related. In the end, the god tossed the meat on the snow at White Fang's feet. He smelled the meat carefully, but he didn't look at it. 
and while he smelled it, he kept his eyes on the god. Nothing happened. He took the meat into his mouth and swallowed it. Still, nothing happened. The god was actually offering him another piece of meat. Again, he refused to take it from the hand, and again, it was tossed to him. This was repeated a number of times, but there came a time when the god refused to toss it, kept it in his hand, steadfastly proffered it. The meat was good meat, and White Fang was hungry. Bit by bit, infinitely cautious, he approached the hand. At last the time came that he decided to eat the meat from the hand. He never took his eyes off the god, thrusting his head forward with ears flattened back, hair involuntarily rising and cresting on his neck. Also a low growl rumbled in his throat as a warning that he was not to be trifled with. He ate the meat, and nothing happened. Piece by piece, he ate all the meat, and nothing happened. Still, the punishment delayed. He licked his chops, waited. God went on talking, and his voice was kindness, something of which White Fang had no experience whatever. And within him it aroused feelings which he had likewise never experienced before. He was aware of certain strange satisfaction, as though some need were being gratified, <coughs> as though some void in his being was being filled. And then again came the prod of his instinct, the warning of past experience. The gods were ever crafty. They had unguessed ways of attaining their ends. Ah, he had thought so. There it came now, the god's hand, cunning to hurt, thrusting out at him, descending upon his head. But the god went on talking. His voice was soft, soothing. In spite of the menacing hand, the voice inspired confidence. And in spite of the assuring voice, the hand inspired distrust. White Fang was torn by conflicting feelings, impulses. It seemed he'd fly to pieces. So terrible was the control he was exerting, holding together by an unwanted indecision the counterforces that struggled within him for mastery. He compromised. He snarled and bristled and flattened his ears. But he neither snapped nor sprang away. The hand descended. Nearer, nearer it came. It touched the ends of his upstanding hair. He shrank down under it. It followed down after him, pressing more closely against him shrinking, almost shivering. He still managed to hold himself together. It was a torment, this hand that touched him, violating his instinct. He could not forget in a day all the evil that had been wrought him at the hands of men. But it was the will of the god, and he strove to submit. The hand lifted, 
and descended again in a patting, caressing movement. This continued, but every time the hand lifted, the hair lifted under it. And every time the hand descended, the ears flattened down and a cavernous growl surged in his throat. White Fang growled and growled with insistent warning. By this means, he announced he was preparing to retaliate for any hurt he might receive. There was no telling when the god's ulterior motive might be disclosed. At any moment, that soft, confident, inspiring voice might break forth into a roar of wrath. That gentle, caressing hand transformed into a vice-like grip to hold him helpless and administer punishment. <coughs> but the god talked on softly, and ever the hand rose and fell with non-hostile pats. White Fang experienced dual feelings. It was distasteful to his instinct. It restrained him, opposed the will of him toward personal liberty. Yet it wasn't physically painful. On the contrary, it was even pleasant in a physical way. The padding movement slowly and carefully changed to a rubbing of the ears about their bases, and the physical pleasure even increased a little. Yet he continued to fear. He stood on guard, expectant of unguessed evil, alternately suffering and enjoying as one feeling or the other came uppermost and swayed him. Well, I'll be gosh swoggled, so spoke Matt, coming out of the cabin. His sleeves rolled up, a pan of dirty dishwater in his hands, arrested in the act of emptying the pan by the sight of Whedon Scott patting White Fang. At the instant his voice broke the silence, White Fang leaped back and snarled savagely at him. Matt regarded his employer with grieved disapproval. If you don't mind my expressing my feelings, Mr. Scott, I'll make free to say you're seventeen kinds of damn fool, and all of them different, and then some. Wheaton Scott smiled with a superior air, gained his feet, and walked over to White Fang. He talked soothingly to him, but not for too long, and then slowly put out his hand, rested it on White Fang's head, and resumed the interrupted padding. White Fang endured it, keeping his eyes fixed suspiciously, not on the man that patted him, but the man that stood in the doorway. You may be number one tip-top mining expert, all right, all right, the dog musher delivered himself, oracly. But you missed the chance of your life when you was a boy and you didn't run off and join the circus. White Fang snarled at the sound of his voice, but this time he didn't leap away under the hand that was caressing his head and back of his neck with long, soothing strokes. It was the beginning of the end for White Fang, the ending of the old life and the reign of hate. A new, incomprehensibly fairer life was dawning. It required much thinking, endless patience on the part of Wheaton Scott to accomplish this, and on the part of White Fang it required nothing less than a revolution. He had to ignore the urges and promptings of instinct, reason, defy experience, and give the lie to life itself. Life 
as he had known it, not only had no place in it for much that he knew now, but all the currents had gone counter to those to which he now abandoned himself. In short, when all things were considered, he had to achieve an orientation far vaster than the one he'd achieved at the time he came voluntarily in from the wild and accepted Grey Beaver as his lord. At that time he was a mere puppy, soft from the making, without form, ready for the thumb of circumstance to begin working upon him. But now it was different. The thumb of circumstance had done its work only too well. By it had been formed and hardened into the fighting wolf, fierce, implacable, unloving, and unlovable. To accomplish that change was like a reflux of being, and this when the plasticity of youth was no longer his, when the fiber of him had become tough and knotty, and when the warp and the wolf of him had made him an adamant texture, harsh, unyielding, when the face of his spirit had become iron, and all his instincts and axioms had crystallized into set rules, cautions, dislikes, and desires. And yet again, in this new orientation, it was the thumb of circumstance that pressed and prodded him softened that which had become hard and remolding it into fairer form. Wheaton Scott was, in truth, this thumb. He'd gone to the roots of White Fang's nature, and with kindness touched to life potencies that had languished and well-nigh perished. One such potency was love, it took the place of like, which latter had been the highest feeling that thrilled him in this intercourse with the gods. But this love didn't come in a day. It began with like, and out of it slowly developed. White Fang didn't run away, although he was allowed to remain loose, because he liked this new god. This was certainly better than the life he'd lived in the cage of Beauty Smith, necessary he should have some god the lordship of man was a need of his nature the seal of his dependence on man had been set upon him in the early day when he turned his back on the wild and crawled to gray beaver's feet to receive the expected beating the seal had been stamped upon him again irradicably on his second return from the wild when the long famine was over there was fish once more in the village of gray beaver and so, because he needed a god, because he referred Wheaton Smith, Wheaton Scott to Beauty Smith, White Fang remained. In acknowledgment of fealty, he proceeded to take upon himself the guardianship of his master's property. He prowled about the cabin while the sled dogs slept. First night visitor to the cabin fought him off with a club until Wheaton Scott came to the rescue. But White Fang soon learned to differentiate between thieves and honest men, to appraise the true value of step and carriage. The man who traveled loud stepping the direct line to the cabin door. He let alone, though he watched him vigilantly till the door opened and relieved the endorsement of the master. But the man who went softly, 
twice, circuitous ways, peering with caution, seeking after secrecy. That was the man who received no suspension of judgment from White Fang, who went away abruptly, hurriedly, and without dignity. Wow! Things are changing for White Fang. We'll continue on with this chapter coming up in our next stream, which will be on Wednesday night at the end of the stream. Nice. All right. I will see you again on Wednesday. Thanks so much. Be sure, by the way, right over here is a follow button. Just click that. You're good to go. Costs you nothing, and it really helps the show out a lot. Really appreciate it. Of course, all of our great sponsors, you can check those out. Get some great, fabulous deals in our show notes. And also, Jay Sheldon's store. We got merchandise for you, T-shirts, coffee cups, all kinds of cool stuff. Check it out. That'll do it. See you Wednesday. This has been The Jay Sheldon Show. I'm tired. Good night. Snort. <laughs>